Hey everyone, we're back for another week of Find Your Film. Happy holidays to everyone. Hope you guys had a great Christmas, Hanukkah, Chrismaka. Hope, hoping you guys have a great, happy new year. Joining me, I'm Greg Srisvasi. Joining me is Bruce Perky and Eric Holmes. Bruce Perky is called Bay of Bruce. Bruce Perky, of course, that is an allusion to a movie that you are going to cover, I believe. Is that is a name of a movie, Bay of something? Bay of Pig? Yes, Bay okay. of Bruce is a movie. It's all about, so bay I thought of, I've got to watch it because, you know, lots of Bruce's of, in a bay. I mean, you know. Yeah, okay. Yeah, you've been watching a lot of movies, right? The last week, you've been you've been really uh, I'm a little slower. I only did like 7 this week, okay. I think. So. Only 7? Not, not bad. Not bad. How are you, Eric Holmes? Eric is called Oh, handsome man. Handsome man. That was that was in reference. What can you say, Eric Holmes, that what that was in reference to? In a reference to nothing. I'm a very handsome man, or so I've been told. <laughs> Not at all a reference to something problematic in Wonder Woman 84. <laughs> okay. We're going to talk to, we're also going to be talking about Wonder Woman 84, 1984 or 84, however you call it. I think all three of us consider it a masterpiece. So we're excited to talk about Wonder Woman 84. There's going to be a lot of rewinds, a lot of uh, our featured movie review this week is, I'm sure, a movie that you listener have probably seen it's called soul it's currently streaming on disney plus but this is the one movie that all three of us have seen we will be covering soul but we'll be covering a lot more stuff we're going to be doing our our first thing babe before we get to the movie rewinds or anything is there any other eric holmes how's your rpg stuff going how's the the board game going how's the work going on that it's it's going pretty good but as i mentioned last uh Last week, or maybe it was a week before, but we had uh, the the Rona made its way into the house, so I've been stuck at home. So as much as I wanted to send stuff out, I'm not Amazon. I don't. <laughs> I actually care about the people I'm sending it to, so I didn't want to. <coughs> oh, here, yeah, you take my uh, tainted goods. But uh, yeah, my sister was the only one that got it. The rest of us got. I think I think we probably had it earlier. Because uh, we sure. all got sick around this time last year, and the people that didn't get sick, my sister is one of them, got sick this time, and the rest of us tested negative, even though we've been in the same house with her. So uh looks like all is good. And once everything's clear, then I'll start. Uh, I'll take uh, some uh, some alcohol spray, clean up the pieces, and then send them out. Very so cool. It'll stop here. The buck stops with me, and I'm not going to be sending it out <laughs> without uh, cleaning disinfecting everything first and your sister's doing getting getting better she's doing okay now oh yeah yeah she's a lot better she was she was real sick for a bit and just uh you know it was like a really bad flu and then you know she eventually got over it and i know some people aren't as lucky but we were so good for us i guess good for you guys thank thank god everything's good with you guys right now uh, eric holmes and i we will be doing a, a, a mutual review of this movie called what is it called the Great Silence, The Great Silence directed by Sergio Corbucci. We have a lot of things to say to that. And knowing Bruce Perky, I'm sure he will get on that ball and watch The Great Silence sooner than later. Bruce Perky, uh, just a uh, little, little tease. Anything was it you said you saw seven movies? Anything re- did a couple of these really stand out on the level of like, like an anything for Jackson or Wolf Walkers? Was it a good week that week on, in that sense, as far as excellent films or not reaching that level? I mean, it was an it was an okay week. I was spending some of my time also working on my top twenty five of twenty twenty, so that kind of sucked a little bit of my time. So that'll be coming out on my uh, YouTube this week. So 
I was okay. still bathing in all my favorite movies, sort of, as I was watching the movies this week. So, you know, unfortunately, Bruce, I think the hardest thing with doing top 25 for, in your terms is how are you able to condense everything, those 25 movies, when you're going to have to talk about Fat Man and the Painted Bird ad nauseum because those are such great movies. In my, are they, those are one of your t- top 25. Am I well, right? What I'm and doing is I'm doing tenet in there. I'm going to do a screen in screen. So like while I'm talking, like I'm just going to have footage running in the corner of the screen of those movies at the same time. So all three corners will be like fat man in one corner, painted burn in a corner and tenant in a corner. So that way you can like keep it coming at you and you know, it'll be okay. really good. That was some dry wit from Bruce Perky earlier in, in our pot. When one of our past podcasts, Eric Holmes mentioned tenant Bruce Perky infamously said, Tenet is a turd. And I, I forgot to follow up. You know, but by the way, in defense of Eric Holmes, I haven't seen Tenet yet. And Eric Holmes, Tenet is not a, a turd. Is Tenet one of your favorites, Eric Holmes, with all that vitriol? I, I, I like Tenet a lot, but as much as I like Tenet, I like the uh, <laughs> I like the uh, little find your film meme that we got going of Tenet is a turd. Uh, best example of something like that is, uh, uh, my friend JJ, um, at, back in Omaha, he really, really likes Steely Dan and I like Steely Dan too. I like Steely Dan a lot, Awesome, but I like, but I like making fun of him for liking Steely Dan more than I like Steely Dan. So <laughs> 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 it, it, it's kind of the same, similar deal with Tenet. I really like Tenet, but I really like the whole Tenet is a turd kind of meme more. <laughs> Well, so I, I, I'll just kind of roll with it. Yeah, speed of roll with it. Yeah, and and in uh, in defense of Bruce, that was dry wit. He did not tenant is is he did not like it. But I wanted to ask you, Bruce, if tenant is a turd, I forgot to follow up. Then what is the painted bird and fat man? Are they just a whole mountain of those uh, compared to tenant? As much as as you said that about tenant, are they even far worse? I guess they're just all. I guess like one is a turd, and then the, all of them would be categorized as dingleberries. Okay, very good. Thank you for the you know I'm a I love visual stuff. But, you know I love Joseph H. Lewis and Brian De Palma. Thank you for the visual, Bruce Perky. Before we get to our main review this week of Soul, we're gonna do movie rewind. Movie rewind, as you guys know, is where you know someone one of us w- will have seen a movie on one week, and then maybe the following or successive weeks that other person or maybe a couple of us will watch sat- said movie. So first off, Eric Holmes, do you have, what's your movie rewind this week? Or I'm yeah, sure I, uh, let me bring it up here. We got uh, Deadly Games, Dial Code Santa, Dial Code Santa Claus. It just says Deadly Games here. It's a uh, kid dresses Rambo, and uh, a guy dresses Santa Claus breaks into the house with uh, little Rambo and his grandpa, and he's trying to kill him. And it's a very silly movie, very 80s movie. It, it feels like a Joe Dante movie a lot. And it looks like it really fell into that time. And I got confused because I was under the impression that this was a new-ish movie, like 2020, 2019, and it just looks like it's made in the 80s. So as I'm watching, I'm like, wow, they really they really nailed the era. <laughs> but it actually uh, it did come out in 1989. Um, there, I mean, there's a there's a you know, a couple issues like the, the kids trying to, he can't get the car started and they do a close up and he's not even pressing down on the clutch. I'm like, that might be why the car is not starting. <laughs> Just an idea. But the kid actually had dro- driven the car before. So he should have known that. Yeah. That, I mean, look, you can pick holes in 
weird plot things in this all day long. This is uh, not high art, but it is fun. And it's Bruce said, and I misinterpreted, this is a lost 80s movie. It doesn't feel like a lost 80s movie. It is a lost 80s movie. And, you know, it's something you can have fun with. Don't take this seriously at all. And But it's it, it's got some thrills and chills in it. But it's also got a... This would probably be a good midnight movie. Actually, that's yeah. probably what this was made for. Get a bunch of friends over, eat some popcorn, drink some beers, and, you know, just kind of poke fun at it. So that is a recommend for you for Dial Code Santa, a.k.a. Deadly Games. Kind of. A light recommend um recommend in certain specific situations if you're it, don't go into this thing <laughs> thinking it's a air quote good movie that and yeah. i hate i hate the term so bad it's good because it's, it's actually shot well and a, a lot of the stuff in the movie is good but it's it's real silly too and i mm. think the movie kind of the movie kind of knows what it is it's not quite as egregious as like the sharknado movie where it's like oh we're gonna make a bad movie look at us but they they just kind of have fun with it and you know bruce you had an upscale on that you really like you really love this movie right you or, or- i liked it i liked it quite a bit i but i i, I totally agree with eric's assessment i mean it, it is a tone thing that you have to kind of go in knowing what it's going to be. I went in knowing it was going to probably be cheesy and a weird 80s movie I'd never seen before. And I guess it surprised me about how how kind of well it did it. It almost like was a parody of the action tropes at the time, I think. I feel like it was almost making fun of the action tropes at the time. But then it also is almost its own thing is also a parody now. So it's it's yeah. I, I really enjoyed it in that sense. But then the... Um, that in the opening song, like even to the point where the opening song they use is Eye of the Tiger with one note different. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's not Eye of the Tiger, it's Eye of the Jaguar or whatever. <laughs> that is very funny. That is very funny. Okay, so that is Stream on Shutter. Bruce, you have a movie rewind as well. What's your movie rewind? I think we have a couple, um, but let's go to yours. Yeah, I have The Headhunter, which Eric brought last week. That's also on Shutter. Uh, 2018 movie directed by Jordan Downey. Uh, and he talked about it basically talked about it kind of like his idea was a really good idea, which is if you imagine sort of this giant, you know, Lord of the Rings or something like that, and you just focus down into a tiny, tiny corner of it. And you found the, the guy who's basically sent out by the King to go get the heads of monsters to the point where you don't ever even see the people that send him out. It's literally just him. And you'll hear a horn go off and he'll like put on his armor and, trudge off and come back with a head of some monster really good movie once again he talked about how it kind of had the aesthetic of Iceman, almost a silent movie in a sense and here's a great way to know that the total cast list the character list of this movie is father daughter and the head like that is the only cast members of the entire movie. So that should give you an idea of kind of how focused this is. Um, the only things I, I say it's really fun. If you like kind of really gritty, like really pure period kind of hard as nails action pieces, but but also kind of meditative. It's not going to it's not overflowing with action, but it has that real kind of gritty um, aesthetic to it. This is great. The other thing I would bring up is. I loved the production design. They didn't have a lot of money, obviously. It's a pretty small budget movie. But what they did is they obviously spent, like his cabin and where he lives looks like it's all made out of real stuff. Like it was all 
carved from wood and stone. Nothing there looks fake to me. And I don't know what Eric would say. I think he'd probably agree with me on that one. And the last thing, the one thing he didn't mention. So you kind of talk about the pattern of this movie, which is he gets a call. He goes, gets a monster. He comes back. He sticks the monster's head on a spike. And you're always kind of seeing the after effects. He's all wounded. Here comes the head. You don't see the actual battle. But there is a twist at about the little over halfway mark of this movie. It's not a very long movie either. It's under 90 minutes. There's a twist at about the halfway point where there's a slightly different event going to occur. And then there's a twist in the, the, the pattern. And that's when the movie actually, I think, really just adds an extra level of, of fun. So I just want to let people know if they're in it, they're like, this is all it's going to be. No, it will, it will twist it up and it will give you some more story beyond that pattern. So, Bruce, I remember Eric was saying last week he really enjoyed this movie. And you're, you were talking about the production design. Is The Headhunter an elevated film for you? Is this, is this a strong recommend as far as – or it, yeah. it is, especially if you like that kind of real hard-as-nails kind of period thing like, you know, Vikings or, you know, sword and sorcery. I think this is like – like like you said again, like it's like a low budget but very very high quality version of kind of that Lords of the Ring universe or uh, almost like say Skyrim. If you've ever played the game Skyrim, I love Skyrim. I love Skyrim at all. This it's just huge. feels like a warrior from Skyrim. He's like the you know like the king's monster slayer, you know. And he Whoa. you're just sitting in his next to his cabin. You in the distance you can see the castle. You know they'll shoot him an arrow with his like apparently his you know his hit list on it and <laughs> off he goes. And it just, it's one of those movies where you like feel the moss and it feels cold and it just feels like you're just stuck there with him. And I think it really, it does a great job of, of creating that world with, with a minimal budget. So it, it's pretty impressive in that way. Well, Eric, you saw this maybe a couple of weeks ago now it's been a week later. Does it, is the headhunter, does it still stick with you in your head as far as like the lasting, the staying power of this film? Because you really recommended yeah. it last week. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's essentially a modern silent movie. And much mm-hmm. like uh, like when I first saw Iceman, Dermanos Dem Ice, first time I saw that, I was like, wow, I really love this movie. And then I saw this. And well, when I saw Iceman, I thought, wow, this is a really great movie. And, you know, just savor it because you're not going to see another movie like this. And then I saw the headhunter. It's like, oh, I hope this becomes a thing. I mean, there's always too much of a good thing where, like, you know, once everyone starts doing it, it'll be okay. I get it, but I I like this kind of uh, storytelling where they don't. Re- it's all visual. They don't rely on dialogue hardly at all because I think what was there like five six lines in the whole thing, if that. And uh, so every every bit of storytelling in this movie is show don't tell. And that's all this movie is, is you just get to see it. And they tell a, they tell a really visceral and gory and kind of thoughtful movie all in 70 minutes. You know, people uh, talk about TV shows. It's like, well, you know, you can get more character development in 17 seasons of whatever. And it's like, well, you know, headhunter was able to do it in 70 minutes why why can't you get it done in a season right yeah uh yeah there's a lot to like in this and i kind of like the i kind of like the tone in the uh the what what would you call it the The mise-en-scene not 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 genre 
Uh, but kind of genre. It, it almost feels like a new genre to me. The The opening of There Will Be Blood is real similar to this. Not many people have seen Iceman, but I'm sure a lot of people listening have watched There Will Be Blood in that first 15 minutes. That's kind of what this whole movie is. That's what Ooh. all of Iceman is. It's it's just a someone doing a thing and they don't say a fucking word through the whole thing. That is awesome. Do you guys think, throwing out to you guys, Iceman and... um. And the headhunter, how would they do as a double header, double feature? Would that be too much or would that work? No. And it would uh it would be I mean, they're both pretty short movies. Mm-hmm. I, I think they're both around 70 minutes, so you could double feature it and it would be uh take just as long as any other bloated two and a half hour movie superhero movie you might watch. <laughs> so it's called the Iceman or Iceman, Bruce? Iceman? The Iceman? Bruce? I thought it was just I just Iceman, I think. I think so. Yeah, the, ice- the, the foreign version is Der Man aus dem Ice, and I think that translates to the man of the ice or the Iceman. But yeah, if you look, but you want to look up Der Man aus dem Ice because if you look up Iceman, there's like 14 other movies called Iceman you're going to find. So. All right, so listeners, go check out Iceman, go check out The Headhunter, and I'm just going to throw in, since we all love William Friedkin, for a little bit more talking, but still that kind of still austere, I guess, way to tell a story, go check out The Hunted. So I guess that would be all three of those would be good good to watch back to back to back. And by the end of that experience, you may not want to talk to a human ever again. But those, those, are very, those survivalist films seem very interesting to me. Speaking of interesting, I think a, a rewind that both Bruce Perky and Eric Holmes has is I'm assuming it's Wonder Woman 1984. Last week, I'm looking at IMDb right now. It has a 5.6 rating out of 10. I said last week that Wonder Woman 1984, we were joking and talking about Bruce Perky's films that he really didn't like, his worst films of the year. He was mentioning Fat Man. I'm not going to put Tenet in there, but Fat Man and the Painted Bird for him. For me, it was Wonder Woman 1984. Bruce Broken, Eric Holmes, they've both been able to see Wonder Woman 1984 in the the succeeding days. I'm going to start with you, Bruce, first. Your thoughts overall regarding watching Wonder Woman 1984, even though I really said to you, two hours and, what, 32 minutes or whatever? Do something else. Read a book. hug, Hug your kids. I don't know. Live your life. And you just did not listen. Bruce, no. I, I eventually had to submit because there was so much buzz coming out about it within the first day and a half. I was like, okay, I can't really, I can't really partake in the conversation without knowing what this is. So I'm going to have to check it out. Uh, and I think I meant, I texted you as I was watching it. It took me almost four and a half hours to finally make it through the entire movie. Like I watched it in like 20 minute bits and then went and did something else for a while and came back to it. It's almost a so bad that it's fun to watch kind of movie because there's so many boneheaded things in the script and so many silly things. But the problem is it's two and a half hours and it's a lot of it is really boring. So if it were shorter and it cut out all the stuff that was boring to me, this could be um, almost a this is this is so bad. It's kind of fun because it's a lot lighter. Like it's not like. If you don't like Tenet or The Painted Bird, they're not fun. You know what I mean? So if you don't like them, you're not going to enjoy them in another way. But this one you could conceivably. I will point out, I'm going to let Eric talk too, but one thing I pointed out is that I noticed that in the very opening scene, there's a sequence where she does the silly Wonder Woman experience in the mall. You get to see her, you know, flipping around and doing all the stuff with her, her lasso. You don't see her as Wonder Woman for an hour and 20 minutes. 
I looked at the time on the movie when she appeared again as Wonder Woman, fully suited up and doing her thing. And it was an hour and 20 minutes into a two and a half hour movie. That's ridiculous. So I'm, I'm on your side pretty much, Greg. I, I wouldn't put it quite as low as you did. I give it kinda, one star. I give it one it doesn't, star. It doesn't offend me. It doesn't make me angry. And it doesn't, it doesn't have a pretentiousness, which throws it that extra level for me, but it's a bad movie. Yeah, it's not good. Well, Bruce, you said it's a bad movie. I gave it a one star because I thought I could, I, I liked Kristen Wiig's performance as Cheetah, but what they did to her character was horrific. It's just <laughs> it was incoherent. It's such an uninspired outing from Patty Jenkins. The people here, this was just an uninspired effort all around. It was a waste of my time. All that said, with what Bruce and I just said, Eric Holmes, what did you? What were your initial thoughts? What were your overall thoughts regarding Wonder Woman 1984? I think you even you had a more passionate take on Wonder Woman 1984. As well. Yeah. Well, I was watching this with uh, my niece and nephew, and thankfully they fell asleep halfway through because I would have turned it off with them in the room. I'm surprised this came out of Patty Jenkins, to be honest, because there are some things that baffle me that no one pointed this out in the script. And I'm not talking about plot hole stuff. Plot hole stuff's fine. There's bad lessons in this movie. You know, Chris and Wig gets that creepy guy that tries to assault her. And then thankfully, no, no, the creepy guy, the drunk guy. Oh, right, uh, right. There you go. Yeah. Tries to assault her. Wonder Woman pushes her away. And then later on, he tries to do it again when she just got her kind of getting her powers and she kicks the shit out of him as she should, because that guy was either going to rape her, kill her or both. Right. And she kicks the shit out of him. The homeless man's like, what are you doing? Then the music's like, I am cheetah. I'm a, you know, it, it, the music basically tells you this is her, this is her descent into becoming evil. And I was like, that is not, that is a terrible lesson to teach someone. If someone's going to attack you, if someone's trying to rape you, if someone's trying to kill you, and Wonder Woman's supposed to be this, this beacon of hope, it's someone that little kids can look up to, and you're going to teach them to not go against your attackers and submit to them. And if you don't, you're the bad guy. That right. And the thing is, I know Patty Jenkins doesn't believe this. I would be an idiot to think that she she believes this because it's it's ridiculous that she would believe something like that. Not to mention the uh, handsome man is my moniker. <laughs> There's issues with that. Mm-hmm. I know, I know she doesn't think this. But it's so obviously the message of the movie. I don't see how that got. I, I don't understand how a lot of this got passed. I would suggest, and granted, most people listening to this, I'm sure, has seen Wonder Woman 84 already. But if you haven't and you're curious, there's the opening scene when she's a little girl. There's an action scene early on in the uh, mall. And there's another action scene later on with the uh, with the cars mm. and the, the jumping around. Or, uh, were they in Egypt or something? Yeah. I'm sure those will be on YouTube soon if they're not already. Watch those scenes because those are fun. Those are great action scenes, and it shows Wonder Woman being a you know uh, kick-ass, you know, strong female lead, a hero. You know, uh, it's nothing spectacular, but you know, there's there's some fun to be had there. And those could, I'm sure, if they're not found on YouTube already, they'll be found on YouTube soon. Watch that and pretend the rest of the movie didn't work. You know, the rest of the movie didn't happen. Because more than anything, this movie is two and a half hours long. This movie has no business being two and a half hours long. 
all it does is just add more crap of it it the longer this movie goes the more i'm like why are you doing that why are you doing that stop 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 doing that and then the cool action scene happens like okay that was a cool action scene and then just more why are you doing that where you do i they, yeah this I, this movie is uh not to steal bruce's word but this movie is a turd and <laughs> i would not recommend children watch this because it actually has dangerous messages in it is even though i don't think the messages were intended that way they're there and they're there strong and i would not recommend even children watch this guess what though the messages are unintended okay but i'm assuming patty jenkins is smarter than all three of us combined yeah the and wow. the producers the producer, <laughs> i would have picked that out of the script but yeah I, I, I but then uh, you know uh, and and also jeff johns he's a dc powerhouse uh all these writers and producers they're they're experts you mentioned the handsome man and listeners the reason why eric holmes is not expounding on the handsome man is he wants to give you guys a shot to actually watch and hopefully experience wonder woman 1984 to see what i mean in a sense like you you don't understand what he means by handsome man because that's a character played by christopher polaha in the in the movie and we really don't want to get into what Handsome Man is all about until you've actually seen the movie. But it's kind of a catch-22 situation. We're not recommending it, but we're saying if you do see it, watch out for the plot situation with the Handsome Man and how it's related to Wonder Woman and and Steve Trevor. Let's just face that, okay? Yeah. That said, it's unintended. I agree with you, Eric, but you have so many smart people manning the boat or womaning the boat whatever term you want to use that i'm sure that had to to have come up regarding the handsome man and the fact that they just went over that and said no you know you could you could just if you want it's a movie you could just bring them back you could literally just bring them back straight a if a person has passed away and you have a stone that you can wish them in just bring them back go from bring start your car at a and go to b that's it eric well, well, because they create things out of thin air in this movie. They create a wall surrounding a city out of thin air. So if that can happen, you could do what you just said. I was just going to say, I'll, I'll let Eric go back to it. I was going to say, this script th- seems to me like a script where they basically had a bunch of points they wanted to have happen. And then they just wrote stuff in between to make those things occur. Mm-hmm. And never thought either about the ramifications, like like the actual moral or character ramifications and they also didn't think about whether they made any sense logically they just said like hey we had this guy in the last movie we really liked him let's get him back into the movie how are we going to do it um let's have her wish him back okay cool we'll do it like this because people love body swap movies and it was just it feels like the whole movie is that every time something happens they said like well we want this to happen how are we going to get there satellite we'll do it with a satellite (laughs) you know and once again i'm not saying what the satellite does but you know what i'm saying there's there's time and again there's things this movie it's like we need this to happen hey let's put a chart in this guy's office and they're gonna look at the chart and say what's that thing oh that's a that's a plot device on a chart you know what it's gonna do (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly it's written like that yeah see the thing about the body swap i i don't even have a problem with that i i have a problem with there's definitely ethical concerns about that but the opening scene was you can't win you cheated you need to do this right they could have made that a point where she wanted to bring steve back did the body swap thing 
come to terms with what she was doing. This was wrong. This was wrong. And then that, yes. that could have been that, that would have been, that would have been such because granted wonder woman does the same things, but she learned from that and, and learned to, you know, yes. ask for forgiveness and move past it and become a better person as a result. I would have been fine with that. That's not what they did. Yes. No, <laughs> they, they had a is- scene. They had a scene where the intent was, Oh, he would have been cool with it. So we'll let it slide, which is not <laughs> the right lesson no. to be had there. Think about that. Yeah, Eric, what you're saying is exactly right. Like they could have had it occur, like it occur exactly the same way. And even including she made the wish not knowing she was making the wish, right? She -hmm. didn't know it would come true. And having the weird twist be that the way it came true would put her in a moral quandary and make her feel really guilty about her own wish and be torn and have her dealing with that. That would have been interesting. That's not what they did. (laughs) And it would have been a great lesson. Yes. Even with the rest of the movie, as bad as it was, had they done that, it'd be like, you know what? This movie sucks, but that, that, that whole character arc is really good and a good lesson. You know, watch it. Let's think about that lesson. You, if you get your dream, but you do it at the expense of someone else, it isn't worth having. Yeah. Wow. That's a pretty good, powerful lesson to teach people, right? But they just said, like, no, it's cool. Let's do this. (laughs) On my my Facebook feed, okay, I have a lot of friends who are critics, movie critics, journalists. And there's one critic on my Facebook feed. He was really... You know, he, he's outspoken, but he really speaks, he, he, he speaks his mind. And I really appreciate what he said yesterday. He posted on Facebook. He goes, I just can't believe that my fellow, some of my fellow colleagues and critics are giving Wonder Woman 1984 a really good review. And sometimes I have to think to myself, hmm, are they giving Wonder Woman a really great review just so they can continue to get screening passes and screening links from that, from said studio? And he just put that on Facebook and a whole, I I laughed silently (laughs) and a whole bunch of critics who are our friends came back and said, Hey, what are you, what are you talking about? I really like the movie, blah, 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 blah. And then another, another person who's a media person said, you know, it's so interesting. A lot of people who come to defense or comment on that Facebook thread or post are probably the ones who feel guilty. I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that these people didn't like the movie, but it's just so interesting that a movie that's so horrible is getting so much passion from both sides. And you and I, we could do this podcast for about two hours and talk about the horrific inadequacies of this, uh, of this movie. And we would still have not enough space to talk about it. That's- well, And it's one thing to say like, okay, dial code Santa Claus, right? You can say, this is a really dumb movie. It's really silly but I had a great time watching it. That's one kind of review. If they did that review, sure. They said, this is really stupid. It makes no sense, but I had a great time with it. Okay, honest. But they're not saying that. They're saying, this is great entertainment. It's action-packed. It's the it you know it inspiring or you know, all that kind of stuff. That's when I'm going like, okay, now someone's not watching this movie. So. And on top of that, like Wonder Woman 1984, it would be similar to the Dial Code Santa if Santa was presented as the hero of the movie, which he is <laughs> <Yeah>. not. <laughs> right. And Eric Holmes, good props to Eric Holmes. Eric Holmes, what did you think? I'm going to spoil it right now. Eric Holmes, what did you think of the use of the score, the partial score from Sunshine uh, in forgot. Wonder Woman I 1984? Com- Guys, I completely, it- I completely forgot that. And okay, 
there there was a there's a uh a scene in pulp fiction i believe it's jack rabbit slims that ding 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 I believe it's a Ry Cooter song and it's from Streets of Fire. It's right at the end of Streets of Fire and they use that in Pulp Fiction. But it's not, it's not a, uh, it's not uh, Nowhere Fast. It's not, I Can Dream About You. It's not one of the iconic songs from Streets of Fire. It's just kind of a droning song that if you watch it once or twice, you would forget it was even there. But it works in, it works in Pulp Fiction. The theme from Sunshine is very iconically used in sunshine and it's known as the sunshine song. It'd be like, granted, uh, Quentin Tarantino, uh, Miserloo was not made for Pulp Fiction. And although like you could, you could use, you know, a little uniconic songs, maybe that, you know, people don't remember. You don't use Miserloo. That song belongs to Pulp Fiction now and forever until just like uh, when Kill Bill came out. That granted, it's uh, RZA probably came from samples of other things, but that's known as a Kill Bill song. It's iconic. People know it as that. And then other people have used it in other movies. And it's like, what, what are you doing? What are you doing? And then this is a moment or supposed to be a moment in Wonder Woman. And they're the theme song to Sunshine. It's like, I know, I, I, I don't get it. That's it, as as with so many things in Wonder Woman 1984. It's just another thing that baffles me. It's like, see, what are you doing? And I think the difference is, and I know we just got to let it go because we, like we said, we keep talking. But I think the difference is too with Tarantino. He's known as having this pastiche of all these like like pop culture movie references thrown into his movies so that's kind of part of the bargain you get with him you know what i mean like it would be more like taking another a a real famous score and like sliding it into the godfather or something and pretending like it's just part of the score you know because this movie is not saying like it's not taking all these iconic movie scores and pop songs and throwing them in there Uh, although it could from 1984 you could imagine them doing that pulling all this stuff from 1984 and sticking it in there. They're taking a movie from the thousands, a piece of a score from the thousands and just sliding it in there. Like, Oh, this is cool and dramatic. That's the problem. Well, on yeah. top of that, Quentin Tarantino is not, the, not about to use a Halloween score for reservoir dogs and thinking no one's going to notice. <laughs> right. Or if <laughs> you, you, did, you could probably, would... you could probably pull a bit of a score from Halloween from like one of the little scenes that no one remembers and maybe get away with that, but you're not going to pull the yeah. theme song from a movie that people know. And well, it, it just, or if you do, you have to it has to become a, a commentary on using that song, right? Yeah. Like we just talked yeah. about being being there. Used the beginning of two thousand one, a space odyssey, a different version of it, and they did it in an ironic way, where it was like knowing it's like saying, "Hey, we're calling back to this iconic thing in a different way." That you can do, yeah. but you can't just slide it in there as part of the score and just pretend like it's just part of the score. Well, I'm so. just excited for the next because you know they're they're doing an, another sequel to Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman three, which I like to call it the the direct sequel to Wonder Woman because Wonder Woman 1984 that year does not exist for me anymore. But the the next sequel, what they're gonna do, I'm excited for. I'm 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 kind of picturing it right now. Uh, what Wonder Woman is gonna be climbing this volcano, okay? And there's gonna be rocks coming down, and I can't wait till they use a score from Rocky. It's gonna be really exciting when they do that. <laughs> I'm excited. I, 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 w- I would like to point out one last thing. It's not going to be a rant, but I just want to make it clear. Of all the uh, bad lessons in this, I do not 
do not believe that Patty Jenkins, I do not believe any of that was intentional. I think Patty Jenkins, obviously I'm, I don't know her, but I assume that she saw a lot of this stuff come out online and be like, what? Oh no, ever. Oh shit. A good example, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson in Boogie Nights, the scene where William H. Macy goes to kill his wife and he kills his wife and the crowd's cheering. And Paul Thomas Anderson says, oh no, I really fucked this up. They think they think this is great that this happened. And then he shoots his he shoots himself and then everything goes quiet and it's like, oh, okay, no, never never mind. It 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 worked the you know the the tension worked the way I wanted to. I I think this was a huge misstep for Patty Jenkins, but I do not for a second believe that uh she is pro rape. <laughs> I do not oh, believe that not. uh yeah. I I so I I do want to make that clear, but th- this movie does have some uh huge huge missteps. And uh hey, you know when Wonder Woman three comes out, you know this is her this is her time to come back with a vengeance, and I hope she does. You know I, I'm rooting for her, but this was not, <laughs> this was a huge mistake. Yeah, you know I'm not going to be as as uh, really cool as Eric Holmes right now, but the next one I just hope I Patty Jenkins, everyone involved is very talented. Gal Gadot good in this movie you know etc i have faith in these filmmakers i just hope for their next sequel that the person who doesn't get the biggest character arc is actually the person who gets the biggest character arc is wonder woman i would love to see wonder woman grow There's a thought <laughs> yeah instead of they should have just called this max lord 1940 1984 okay or the courtship of max lord's father uh, max lord's son you know I'm, so, I'm sorry folks i'm sorry when the villain who is bent on destroying the world gets the biggest emotional arc i don't know i don't i'm not a writer like eric holmes or as smart in cinema as bruce perky but i'm you know what if you put me behind a, a script google give me google doc and make me write a script on wonder woman 1984 I would come up with a better story. I demand, I, I just really hated this movie. I, we're we're going to cut some stuff out. I just can't. I'm just beside myself thinking about this movie. And lastly, on Wonder Woman 1984, okay, I really, dis, really am mad when people say, oh, you're beating up on Wonder Woman. You're beating up on Wonder <laughs> Woman. What are you doing? You, you got, what are we supposed to do? Treat movies with kid gloves? A move, movies that waste our time it's this is not a referendum on wonder woman we all three of us would love to see an amazing wonder woman film but this wonder woman 1984 plain and simple sucks so listeners if you want to email us and tell us that we're completely wrong etc cetera, etc cetera, everyone is entitled to, to their opinions we'd love to hear what you guys think and actually to be honest i'd love to hear a lot of the disagreements tell us what you think worked on wonder woman 1984 because as much as we're we're casting all these aspersions myself being the biggest one of, of them all i would love to hear some positive reviews on wonder woman 1984 as well eric anything else you you think like you're you're, you're bubbling right there I'm just, I just got really mad. I'm sorry. <laughs> now you're like, uh, if you think something, go ahead and tell us. I'm like, I will not talk. <laughs> I will not talk. Eric Holmes will not talk. Bruce, Sometimes but you know what? Silence is the best. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, folks. I'm sorry. Bruce. Si- uh, silence for me. Silence for me is the oh, best. We're going to be talking about silence in a, in, a, in a few moments, Eric Holmes, actually. But any other movie rewinds before we get into our main movie review? Nope. No, I think we've done enough. (laughs) We're good. We're good. Okay. Yeah, I'm sorry, folks. Okay, so our main review, and by the way, little teaser, 
My mood does not get better. Our main movie review is Disney and Pixar's Soul. And it's not against you. I love you guys. I'm, my mood is not going to get better because we're going to be covering a movie called Soul. And I'm not, I'm not going to win too many friends with this, with this, with this episode. We'd love to. Okay, let's start with you, Eric Holmes. You saw it. Your thoughts on Disney and Pixar's Soul. One of the things is uh, it's about a music teacher voiced by Jamie Foxx, who he's, he's a middle band teacher. He loves jazz. This um, I forgot his name. Let me look up his, his name. He's uh, I'll look up his name in a Joe. second. But which one? It's Joe. Joe. His name is Joe. Voice. Thank you. Voice by Jamie Fox. Jazz is his passion. I totally relate to him because my favorite music, genre-wise, is jazz, specifically bebop. What happens in the beginning is Joe. He 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 might land a gig at at uh, playing with some jazz musicians he really admires, especially this woman. Her name is Dorothea Williams. Unfortunately, he falls into a manhole, pothole, whatever manhole. It goes goes down, passes passes away. Bruce, and then what happens? What what happens after he falls down in the in the manhole, Bruce? He dies, and the movie ends. And he dies, and the movie ends. <laughs> Spoiler alert! Thank you for listening. <laughs> we'll see you next week on Finder Film. <laughs> he dies. At the spoiler, actually, he dies in the movie. It ends. is not. You see the trailer? It shows him fall down and. <laughs> be blue spirit dude so yeah it, yeah. it becomes yes he becomes bit like sort of a blue spirit dude and ultimately what happens is soul it centers on joe like eric was saying he goes he before he gets to heaven aka the great beyond it's called the great beyond here in soul he meets up with someone named 22 not his soulmate a, a an actual soul and that soul is number 22 voiced by tina fey now the the whole goal of speaking of body swaps, the whole goal of soul is Joe as a musician. He starts off as a very selfish, self-centered jazz lover, but he has to, he has to teach soul who's 22 voiced by Tina Fey. He has to give her a spark for her to actually go to earth and live a life. Something like that. I've seen this movie a, a one and a half times thanks to my niece, Claire. And this movie supposedly has a, like some really interesting messages and should be inspiring, has lot, lots of jazz in it and wonderful music. Eric Holmes, your overall thoughts on Soul, which is now streaming on Disney Disney Plus. Well, my overall thoughts are, for the most part, I like this. Uh, I will say, let's put a moratorium on body swap movies, guys. We apparently cannot do these properly. So, and there seems to be issues with those. So just if you're writing a script and you're like body swap, you know what? Maybe just not. Let's just not do that right now. But uh, yeah, the uh, animation in this is fantastic, which goes without saying because it's Pixar and they're, that's what they're known for. But like the the, the character designs, like those uh, those uh, creatures in the soul world where they're like kind of like two dimensional scribble looking things and everything's like all soft on the outside. But then they go to Earth and everything looks almost photorealistic, like, you know, character caricature, you know, the, they have the caricatures, but everything looks photorealistic almost um so i'd love all the different styles of uh animation using this you know there's some there's some really cool ideas as far as the afterlife goes and uh overall it's uh i think uh pete doctor is one of the directors and kent powers this is kent powers first movies uh credit as co-director pete doctor i believe did up and Up is a really good kind of, it kind of marries well to this because Up is a really good opening 
and a really good ending in the middle is kind of, you know, fun cartoon. Not, nothing great, nothing terrible. It's just kind of, and that's kind of, that's kind of where soul lies. There's some really good stuff in it. And there's some kind of fun, you know, kitty stuff. And yeah, overall, I like it, but it's, it's kind of that. Yeah. There's just stuff it does really well. And then there's stuff that they kind of probably could have went a little harder on, I think. Hmm. A strong recommend or a light recommend for you, Eric? I, I would say strong recommend, uh, especially if you have kids. This, this is, you know, this is a kid's movie. And any, anytime you have a, a movie that deals with death uh, that's made for kids, I mean, it's it's something they're going to find out just like the rest of us, you know. Good point. And, and, and movies like this, I think, are good ways to kind of broach the subject without being terrifying if that makes sense. Excellent. Yeah. No, I, very good. Very good point. Uh, Bruce, your thoughts on soul. Did you love it as much as Eric did? I'm, I'm in a pretty similar place to Eric on it. I think it's this kind of middle, middle level Pixar. It's, it's good, but it's not great. But once again, it's kids probably, you know, eight to 11, seven to 11. It's probably a good, a good age for them. I, personally liked the earth stuff much more than I liked the afterworld stuff. I thought that there was almost too many ideas thrown in there. And I almost felt like the stuff they wanted to deal with, which was the basic idea was interesting, which is, you know, like, you know, how do you deal with feeling a fulfillment in life? You know, what, what is a goal that you should be achieving versus a goal to feel like a fulfilled human being? Like, you know, do you have to have all the success? You know, th- those, those are kind of the things it's playing around with. I thought they almost could have just done that with a, a grounded story of a person on earth animated as awesomely it is, as it is on earth. So, and then the only other kind of gripe I had is there was towards the end, and I'm not going to talk about obviously how it ends, but I thought it should have gone a direction at the very end that it didn't go. I felt like I understand why they didn't go there because it might've been a little too gutsy to go there, but I felt like it should have gone there. Either way, it's not terrible. And it's entertaining enough. So for me, I guess I'd be a light recommend on this. But if you have kids, like Eric says, definitely, definitely. You know, so I saw this movie with Claire, parts of it with Claire, my niece, Claire, four-year-old niece. She loves it. She loves Soul. Mm -hmm. And when I remember when she was... She was a kid, a a year or two years old. She'd love listening to Miles Davis's kind of blue in my car. And she'd she'd know stuff like Freddie Freeloader and, you know, flamenco sketches. She could say flamenco sketches and Freddie Freeloader when she was two and recommend those tracks. And ever since then, now that she has a mind of her own, she she always tells me how much she doesn't want me to listen to, want to listen to jazz in, in my car. She doesn't like jazz. And what's cool about Soul is like Eric, you were saying it, just talks about the afterlife in a very kid-like manner. And I, I don't mean that as a pejorative. Like in a, It's something that kids can really be introduced to with soul, which is great. And it also gives kids a life of a, a picture of jazz and music and the flavor of New York. You know, the pizza, mm-hmm. the, the, the crowded streets and the blaring of the horns, not just the cars, but the music inside. I thought, it's, I thought that's a great flavor that mm-hmm. it brought the main character is black, which is great, voiced by Jimmy Fox. So these are these are all really good ingredients that I was and Cody Chestnut, he's the the black artist on the in the subway playing that song. Love him as an artist. Love so there are so many things about Soul I really appreciate and enjoy, and I'm glad that Claire likes it. For me, as a 49 year old cinephile and I guess right now pessimist, 
I this movie was with its joke a minute tone between twenty two and Joe. There were they were going for basically it, within sixty seconds you'd get maybe three or four jokes every minute. And I just as much as I love Woody Allen and his neurosis, this joke a minute or four or five jokes a minute kind of pace just rubbed me the wrong way. I I just found it grating. I also thought the ending was absolutely abrupt, didn't stick the landing whatsoever. There are a lot of tone issues I had with this movie. I felt it was just a little bit all over the place. You were, Eric Holmes, you were mentioning, I'm such an a-hole in this this episode. You were mentioning (laughs) Pete, Pete Doctor in Up. You know, up, they had the montage in the beginning with Carl and I think her name's Ellie. And, the, and you see Carl and and getting to know her, them, getting to know each other as kids. And then you see that beautiful montage, the the uh, the beginning and end of their relationship, which is, I think, one of my favorite moments in cinema, uh, animation wise. And, you know, that's by Pete Doctor, like you were saying, Eric. So that was 2009. 11 years later, I don't find any montage or any visual or any moment in soul that even gripped me 10% as much as, as up did. So I would, this is not even a light recommend for me. I would say for me, soul was a huge disappointment, but if you have kids or you have nieces and nephews, if you're going to see it with a child who wants to, and you want them to learn a little bit about, about jazz and the afterlife in a very friendly fashion, soul is definitely value added, but it's one of these things that I, as if I'm going to watch it myself, I'm like, I'm never going to watch this by myself ever again. The music's beautiful though. Love the music in soul. So for me, it would be listen to the music. If you have kids, check out soul. But if you are a, an adult who likes to watch other movies and are as are a mean spirited person, like I am right now, do not watch soul. So I wonder, yeah. um, cause when we, uh, we reviewed shit house, yes. I mentioned that, it's not a movie I need right now because I've I've went through that. But there are people at that age that kind of need that need to watch Shit House to go through what the what the characters were. And even though it wasn't for me, it's very valuable to someone like that. Would Would you say that uh, Soul kind of has that sort of with with, with the whole afterlife? Not even just the afterlife, but that and just the find your creativity, find your spark, sort of for sort of thing. Uh, even though clearly it's not for you, but the uh, maybe there's a group of people that um, this movie would, would just do wonders for. Look, it's going to do wonders for, for most people, Eric. And I, I, I totally agree with you uh, on Rotten Tomatoes audience score, 89%, 89%. Uh-huh. And the fact that it's, it has so many great things about it. It's just not a movie that, that really appealed to me. It's just the ingredients didn't, you know, and the whole idea about finding your spark and there's a difference between finding your spark and having a purpose in life. Yes, I I get it. It's a, it's an everlasting theme. It's an evergreen theme, but tell it with a better with a better script. I just up is a movie about loss and moving on from from your own pain and finding a new family, right? Yeah. And 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 thinking of other people's welfare over your own security. As a child watching up, you're gonna learn so much stuff. And the great thing about up. As an adult, you're going to learn a lot about life from watching up. Watching Soul, if you know any gosh darn thing about jazz or John Coltrane or Miles Davis or or even Kenny Bleeping G and know know the difference between spark and, and purpose, I think it's just a waste of time if you're an adult. But like you said, Eric, it has a lot of value added stuff for people 
who, especially children, I just find, found Soul to be like Bruce, you were saying it was middle of the road for as far as Pixar. Yeah. This is like not even on the road. It's in a ditch. It's buried somewhere. It's not going actually on the pavement. There are, um, I mean, there might not even be soil. I don't even know if civilization still exists before Pixar started. This is how low Soul is for me. Probably, I don't know, it's, but is, is Cars? Cars 2? It's Cars a Pixar yeah. film? Yeah. yeah, I like Cars better than Soul. So that's that's my thought on Soul. I now Bruce and Eric, I'm sure hate me. When where did this jerk come from? I don't know. I'm I'm been in a good mood. I, yeah, I know, right, Eric? I, I really am in a good. I can't wait till oh, we yeah, get to some really, really good movies. So that's recommend for Bruce, right? You give it a Soul yeah, I give it a I give it a light recommend. Yeah, light recommend, strong recommend for Eric Holmes. Yeah, and I and, and also to the point we made. This is, I think adults would enjoy this, but I think kids would get most out of this. this, These Pixar movies are made for kids and this is a perfect movie for kids. So yeah, that, that, that's sort of strong recommend. And also there's like a, the, you know, the bit where he's playing the keyboard and he kind of, he kind of goes in his dreams, you know, he kind of gets in the zone. I kind of, I kind of, you know, relate to a lot of that on top of that. Um, the idea of uh, find your spark, like it, it seems like a, a big thing. Um, are you going to be a musician? Are you going to be an artist? Are you going to be this or that? But I, I like the idea of um, uh, they don't have to, um, it doesn't have to be a big thing. Sometimes your spark is you just like pizza and that's fine too. Like I, I like that they took the hyperbole out of uh, and brought it down to something baseline. Cause I, I think a lot of, uh, a lot of hyperbole is uh, rampant just in the world in general, but, Oh, I got to find this thing. It's got to be this big thing. No, it doesn't. You know what? Um, I like the, I, I like how the buttons fill in this remote control. That's, my That's spark. Like, it could point. be, it, it could be something as dead simple as that, but yeah, I, I, I overall, I like the message. Love the, love this, um, the uh, animation and for who the movie's for, which is children is great kids movie. And you know what, listeners, to Eric's point, I may be uh, just really punching down on a lot of this stuff, right? This week, I don't know. Well, what, pick, what, sorry, I, I don't think you can punch you, down. I'm not, yeah, I'm not punching down. I'm just saying it's it's a little bit, uh, maybe uh, I'm going a little bit too hard because I'm saying, oh, this this ain't no Wally. This ain't no up. So uh, it's a lot, of, a lot of stuff to live up to, but still it's hard to send the right message. And by the way, I love jazz. Listen to the soundtrack. And like Eric Holmes says, it's very value added. Now we're going to our our weekly recommendations. Bruce, what is your first recommendation this week? My first recommendation is the weekly Bava update, and that is <laughs> Mario Bava's. Oh gosh, you know what? I'm so glad that you're keeping the Mario Bava thing alive. <laughs> Eric Holmes, I was I actually messaged messaged um, Bruce this morning. Like, should I should I do something with Argento or something? Because we got to keep the Jalo stuff every yeah. single week. So one of you guys week. needs to watch Tenebrae next week. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> okay, I will. I will watch an Argento next week. We're, we're keeping the Jalo flavor of Find Your Film alive. Bruce Perky, you're talking about Baba. So I'm doing um, 1971's Amiria Baba movie called A Bay of Blood. A Bay of Blood. Also known as the Twitch of the Death Nerve. Also known as a ton of other things. Because... They repackage them all the time. There are lots of cuts of this movie around. So this is one of those ones we talked about before. We got to beware. You might find a very terrible 
version of it, but you can get good versions on Shutter, Canopy. You can rent good versions. So I would say Shutter or Canopy for a good free streaming version if you have ability to get one of those services. If not, rent it for a buck or so. But this is not my favorite um, Mario Bava. It might be his most influential movie. This is considered by many to be the first modern slasher movie ever made. It is directly responsible for the entire Friday the 13th series because it takes next to a place next to a bay of water. It is also Friday the 13th one copies two of the killings from this movie. Friday the 13th two copies two other killings from this movie. That's how influential this movie is. Now, needless to say, this is a pretty silly movie. Uh, It doesn't have some of the amazing style that you get in some of the other Bavas. This is a little more streamlined. It's a little, it's a little more bare bones. So I'd say the other ones we've talked about, I would go see first, but when you're getting to kind of be a completist or you're a slasher fan or any of that kind of stuff, this is something to check out. If not for no other reason than the historical kind of importance that it has basic story, uh, this countess dies or she's murdered, but it's pretended to be a suicide, but you know, it's a murder right out of the gate. And then the basic story is there's a whole bunch of different characters that are all out to get the fortune and to own this land for various reasons. That's right next to the bay where her, her manor is. And that's pretty much it. Like many slasher movies, there's just an excuse for a bunch of people to get together to mostly get killed. And the mystery is who's doing the killing, of course. And then even throw in a, a, a van load of hippies, <laughs> like you do, <laughs> to come and go skinny dipping and get cur- killed too, to have some extra bodies on the mix. It's silly. If you're into that kind of thing, it's got its fun moments. You'll definitely, if you're into Friday the 13th, this is something to check out to see like, oh my God, they totally stole that. A couple other teeny little details that are kind of fun about this. It is one of the first special effects jobs of Carlo Rimbaldi. I don't know if you know the name Carlo Rimbaldi. He's done two really famous special effects things. Oh, he's done more than that, but two that are very famous. He created E.T. That is a number one. Carlo Rimbaldi created E.T. (laughs) So number two is a year away from E.T., he created something that's in that movie Possession, which I talked about, which is the exact opposite of E.T. It's like one of the creepiest things you'll ever see. So... Carlo Rimbaldi is, is a known guy for special effects for those reasons alone. So it's a pretty interesting, uh, I guess, time capsule for horror, I guess, is what I would say. Well, it's interesting because this is a, a total different style for Bob. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not as, I don't know, uh, garish or as colorful, I'm, I'm assuming, as Blood and Black Lace, right? It's not as beautiful in that sense. No, it's got its moment. So if you're, if you're like we are getting more steeped in Baba, you will see those moments. You'll say like, oh. There's the Baba I know, but it's a lot rougher and more, this is a seventies movie. So it feels like a seventies horror movie, as opposed to that more beautifully Gothic composed stuff that you see in his other movies. So, yeah. You know, it's interesting. You're saying it's streaming on shutter and canopy, other things you, you saw it on shutter is, was this a rewatch for you? Because I'm assuming either you and Eric, I'm sure you might've, you must've seen a Bay of blood too, as well before. Uh, I, I think I have. I, I had to watch it again, but I'm pretty sure a, a lot of what he's saying sounds real familiar. And I think I have, but yeah, I mean, Hey, if I got to watch another Bava movie again, just to be <laughs> sure I'm, I'm perfectly fine with that. I had seen it a long time ago, but long enough that I'd pretty much forgotten it. And it, once again, it's not 
top tier Baba, I don't think. But for slasher films, it might be. Some people love this movie more than I do. One thing I forgot to mention, this has one of the most ridiculous and bonkers final moments of any horror movie I've ever seen. And I'm saying this rivals Sleepaway Camp. And I know that Eric knows what Sleepaway Camp ends with. I would assume you do. Oh, I this do. has a this has <laughs> an ending moment that's it's not the same type of thing, but it's as bonkers and ridiculous and silly and funny and iconically funny that when you see it, you, you'll never quite forget it. It's it's something. So Okay. I, cool. I I wonder if I watch the movie again. Do like what I did with the uh, uh, Black Sabbath. Be like, no, I, did, I definitely didn't see it. And then I guess to the, oh, yeah, I, I definitely. <laughs> I, I wonder if I get through the entire movie and like, oh, wait, maybe I haven't seen Bay of Blood. And they get to the end and go, oh, yeah, no, I saw this. <laughs> so that is a Bay of Blood released in 1971. It's streaming on Shutter, Shutter, Canopy, a bunch of other streaming services. That is Bruce Perky's first recommendation. It is a solid recommendation. I mean, it's not Bava's best, but. It's great. It's as far as value added film history wise, right? Yes. But I mean, once again, this is way more niche, I think, you know, whereas I think Blood and Black Lace, people who are into classic gothic movies in general could enjoy that. This one is like, you probably got to be a horror fan to really get into this. You're going to get into this like half an hour. If you're not a horror fan, you'll be like, why am I watching this? This is not not for me. So that's kind of my reservation. Kind of like what Eric was saying, like, this is for an audience (laughs) for sure. So, you know. Very cool. Okay. Bay of Blood. Bruce's first pick. Eric Holmes, what's the first film you're going to recommend? I saw a uh, movie uh, directed and directed by and starring Robert Hossein. Uh, from 1969. And I got this one from Arrow Video. It is called Cemetery Without Crosses. Mm. But I believe you can uh, probably rent this one on YouTube or uh, Amazon or something like that. I, I, I believe it's streaming in places. You might have to rent it, but. Did you buy it um, at your Entertain Mart or wherever that your local? Yeah. Yeah, okay. I, ju- I just saw, hey, it looks like a Western. It's called Cemetery Without Crosses, and that that's a cool that's a cool title. So was it used? Steve. Was it was it used or sealed, or did you just? No, it was sealed. I, I think it just. I mean, it's Arrow, so it probably came out relatively recently. Um, wow. I'm sure it says something here, but you know, there's nothing more exciting on a podcast than watching some guy that can barely read read. <laughs> so, how much? Did, I'm just. How much did you, did it set you back? Twenty five bucks or something like that, or. Uh, it was, yeah, it was pretty close to 20 bucks. I think it was like 15, 20 bucks, something like that. Oh, was that a blind buy? Yeah, yeah, oh. I had no idea. Nice, um, very cool. But uh, this one stars Robert Hussein and Michelle Mercier, Mercier, okay. uh, who is the lady in the telephone in Black Sabbath. Oh, nice, so very good, that, Eric. Did not know that at the time when I was getting this, I just found that out later. I was like, oh, so. Yeah, we've got that. But, um, so basically what, what it starts off is uh, this guy, he's riding on a horse and you see that he's bleeding. And there's like eight guys chasing after him. I will call these eight guys. I believe they're known as the Rogers, but I like to call them the assholes because those guy, eight guys are fucking assholes. And the uh, guy, the lone guy on his horse, he gets, you know, he's, you know, kind of on his horse and kind of barely alive kind of barely stand up, but he pulls up home. Uh, Michelle Mercer, she comes out, and I believe her character's name is Maria. 
And uh, as soon as the guy gets up on his horse and he gets to the house, he just falls off his horse and lands on the ground. The eight assholes come out. Uh, they catch up to him. They hold her down and kind of just grab her by the face and, you know, point her head to what, oh, we're going to do this thing to your husband. And you're going to watch. And they ended up putting him on top of his horse, puts the noose around his neck, slaps the horse, and he gets ha- hanged. And uh, then they leave. And uh, Maria is not happy one bit. <laughs> she is fucking pissed. And in fact, looking on are the guy's two brothers. His two cowardly brothers are, you know, over the hill looking, oh, what, what's going to happen? And then once the eight assholes leave, the two cowards come by. And Maria's like, so you're just going to sit there and watch it, huh? Good job, dickheads. Uh, you just killed your brother. You just killed my husband. You just sat there and watched it. Great. You know, good. We fucking leave. And so uh, she was going to have uh, the two cowards uh, go and get revenge because she says right out, she's like, I, you know, I just, I just want revenge. You know, I don't want justice. I want revenge. Those guys are assholes, and they're going to pay. And they're known within the community as they're kind of. There's uh, probably something similar in other movies and stories where the the people that kind of run the town are the assholes, but you know they don't. They don't usually do too bad. Um, I think this was uh, one of the main, uh, one of the rare murders that they do. So they just kind of get away with a bunch of stuff. But anyway, she finds a guy, uh, Robert Hossein, who also uh, directed and I believe wrote this movie. Definitely yet wrote and directed this movie. Um, she finds him and she tells him, I want revenge on these guys that killed my husband. And it's like, eh. Not not really into that. She's like, well, I got money. Go get them. He's like, I'm not looking to kill people. She's like, I'm not looking for you to kill. I want revenge. I don't want them dead. I want them embarrassed. I want them humiliated. So this is a revenge movie, but she's not going to kill them. She's going to, they set up this uh, elaborate plan to, with Robert Hossein's character, to get back at these guys by publicly humiliating them, which... Later on, turns into violence, but uh, we won't get into that. This is a this is a really good. Uh, uh, I, I don't know if spaghetti westerns. The uh, yeah, in twenty twenty, I don't know if that's a proper term to use, but it's it's a very good <laughs> Italian western. We'll call it an Italian western. Um, th- this is a really fantastic one, and one I would if you're into those kind of movies um, and you like really good stories and a really good twist on the revenge tale. Because it's not, it's not the revenge tale you think it is. It, it's it, they get a little smart with it and a little twisty with it. And I won't say any more than that. But I, this comes highly recommended. If Ooh. if you like that type of movie, I would seek this one out. So is would this consider would this be in you know? Quentin Tarantino has his top twenty spaghetti westerns. Or or if if you uh, listeners, if if you don't like the term spaghetti, we can also say uh, gluten free pasta westerns. <laughs> We can do that as well. But is this a top tier spaghetti Western for you, Eric Holmes? I, I would say so. So there's some uh, issues early on and later on with the camera that gets uh, the camera gets really out of focus. And really, unless I'm confusing that, you know what? I think I'm confusing this with another movie we'll talk about later. Okay, okay. <laughs> but uh, because I, I saw this movie and the, another movie like back to back. So a lot of the two are running together for me. Um, but yeah, there's, uh, oh, I won't get into this at all other than to say 
there's a uh, there's a thing they do at the very end that's really nice. And I think Greg, mm-hmm. you of everyone would uh, appreciate. It. They they do some they do some stuff with uh, they, they, they I, I guess this wouldn't give away any plot points. They just go from color to black and white, similar to what they do in Wizard of Oz. But the way they do it is is and how it how it relates to the story and the themes of the movie is really well done. So but you got are, this on, on Blu-ray, Eric? Yeah, yeah. How's the transfer look? How does it look? It was pretty good to me. There, There's a couple spots where it's like you could tell they either use B-roll footage or, you know, this is the shot and that's what it is, so we got to use it. So there's some of that in there, but then there's other shots that are just really nice looking. Okay, well, this, this Blu-ray for Arrow Video, Cemetery without crosses it comes it is a brand new 2k restoration of the film from original film elements as eric holmes was alluding to and it also has an all-new interview with star and director robert hossein filmed exclusively for this blu-ray release also another archive interview with hossein and which you know what i wish i was able to actually buy this eric holmes because it also has a reversible sleeve featuring original and newly commissioned artwork by Sean Phillips. Bruce Perky, Sean Phillips is an amazing artist. And look at that. Look at that. Listeners, you're not going to be able to look at it, but it is so (laughs) beautiful. That commissioned artwork is gorgeous. Don't you think, Bruce Perky? Yeah. So, yeah, definitely going to pick up. I'm a spaghetti Western guy. Okay. I can't wait to pick up Cemetery Without Crosses via Arrow Video. So that is awesome. Eric Holmes. Purchased it at Entertain. What is your Entertain Mart? Is that what is that your local? Yeah, yeah it's Entertain Mart. It's uh, I, I mentioned it before, but it's basically a giant warehouse with a bunch of movies, games, uh, and records, all sorts of that fun stuff. Seems like heaven to me. I I don't have something and like if, that. If you ever make your way, anyone listening ever makes their way into Colorado Springs, you may email me at hamslam at gmail and I will give you a tour of the Entertain Mart. <laughs> <laughs> wow listen that is see eric holmes always the most generous oh bruce perky with your what's in the box segment both of you guys are generous <laughs> listeners if you're ever in los angeles the san fernando valley and uh please don't ever email me because uh, <laughs> i'll never take you a tour i don't even take a tour of anything myself so because i'm a hermit but uh if you're in colorado springs definitely i i personally can't wait to see entertainment to be honest that sounds like a great warehouse to go to so that is cemetery without crosses that's eric holmes's First recommendation, I can't wait till he gets to his second recommendation. That said, though, Bruce Perky, I'm sure you have a great one as well. What's your next recommendation? My next recommendation uh, is from 2016. It's Nocturnal Animals, directed by Tom Ford on Netflix. And this is a movie that I'd heard about for a long time and never have been able to watch. It was on different pay services or I don't know what it was, but it dropped on Netflix the last couple of weeks. So I uh, caught up with it. Who do we got in this one? We got Amy Adams as Susan, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal as Tony and Edward, uh, Michael Shannon. We all love Michael Shannon. He plays Bobby. And then Isla Fisher is in it as well. And some other people as well. So a pretty interesting movie. This is definitely, I don't know, we'd categorize this. I don't know. You've probably seen this too, Greg. I'm assuming at some point. No, you know what's so funny about this, Bruce, before you get into your review? Yeah. I looked at it. Tom Ford. I haven't seen any of his movies. I know. I think it was called A Single Man, which came out several mm-hmm. years before that. Highly recommended, I'm sure. But I've, I haven't seen that yet. But this movie, Nocturnal Animals, Eric Holmes, have you seen Nocturnal Animals? You probably saw it when it came out. 
Yeah, I saw it when it came out. Okay. Yeah, what's weird about this is it looks like a one of those story within a story type of contraptions mm-hmm. with a film noir bent. And I always wondered why it came out. It had a little bit of buzz, but then it just quit nosedive. Meaning as far as its staying power, you said it just dropped on Netflix right now. It's mm-hmm. released in 2016. It doesn't feel... I just had this feeling that maybe this thriller wouldn't have got you know it doesn't have staying power that was my own prejudice against the movie hopefully you can prove it wrong by yeah i think i think you should give it a chance this i'm not 100 that you'll love it but you might love it one of the problems i could see with this is so here's the basic concept jake gyllenhaal's character and amy adams character used to be married she always thought he was kind of a loser he was trying to become a writer she always thought he was kind of a loser and she she dropped him and now she is a successful kind of an art promoter. I guess she's an art promoter and stuff. She doesn't make her own art, but she does galleries and all this kind of stuff. So you kind of find all that information as it goes along. When it starts out, she's basically, you just see her. She's successful. She's at this art opening and she gets a manuscript in the mail and it's from him. He says it was inspired by her. The manuscript is Nocturnal Animals. And then there's the story within the story. So I think to some people, probably they may feel like, the story within the story doesn't actually matter because it's something that she's just reading. It's like too much artifice, right? Yeah. But I really liked it. And the point is, the point is in this movie is that you're watching this story. And I would say about 70% of the movie is the story. And every time you're in it, you're just in the story. And the story itself is almost like a straw dog sort of a thing where, you know, you've got the perfect family with a kind of very nice, but a little bit mild mannered guy on the road and then bad people encounter them and he does or doesn't like fight back enough to help them and feels guilty that those, you know, and there's a crime mystery and stuff going on. The interesting parts of it are because she's reading it, you're seeing that entire story as she's imagining it while she's reading it. So she's casting the characters. So the main character in the story he's written looks like Jake Gyllenhaal, the main woman in the story is played by Isla Fisher, which is always someone that's mistaken for Amy Adams. So that's kind of an interesting casting choice in this movie. And then on and on it goes. And um, uh, Michael Shannon plays a detective, like a kind of a, you know, country, it's in Texas. So kind of a Texas cop out to help him, you know, get justice. That's kind of the basic idea of that main story. I think it's a really interesting story. I think the actual story within the story is, is compelling and entertaining and and good. And, and you want to watch just that story to see how that story ends out. And then as you start kind of, I guess, unraveling all the ways that it's obviously metaphoric and how she's taking it and how it's affecting her current life because she's reading into the story he wrote about herself and him, that it's, it's pretty interesting. I think it's a pretty interesting movie. How's the wrap up? How's the, all of that stuff? Because it seems like a very overworked, kind of plot which it could work if in my opinion if the third act really nails it i think the final shot is fantastic it's subtle but i think it's fantastic uh, it's definitely could be divisive some people might hate the final shot i think the final shot is is just kind of like we say chef's kiss yes chef's kiss. Chef's i think kiss. it's chef's kiss i think this is a you know for me this isn't like this isn't like instant classic but this is definitely well done. Like you said, it's kind of neo-noir, but it's also, you know, it's, there's some psychological 
drama stuff going on there too. So I, I guess it's a good three and a half, four star movie for me. I think okay. it's good. Hey, Eric, you, it's been four years since you saw it, but did, did you have that same uh, thoughts about the movie when you first saw it four years back that you were, you were high on it on nocturnal animals? As well? Uh, yeah, overall, I, I remember I, the beginning was quite memorable. The uh, opening scene, the that Quicksilver, what's his name? Aaron Taylor Johnson. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. I remember he was he was quite the asshole in this, and I, yes. I, 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 I think this was probably one of the first ones where I saw him, and I'm like, oh, okay, I see what the big deal is now. And yeah, a lot of what I remember is the story part, the story within the story. And all the stuff that happens outside of it is, I, I couldn't tell you one thing that happens outside of the story other than she was writing a book or a play or something. But I, yeah, I remember liking it when okay. I watch it and I just never watch it after that initial time. But okay, so no- go back to it. <laughs> Nocturnal Animals <laughs> currently streaming on Netflix as we speak. I'm, I'm going to probably give that movie a shot. And I had no idea about the whole Isla Fisher, Amy Adams thing, which is <laughs> shows that both actresses have a great sense of humor, as does Tom Ford. So really looking forward to checking that. Bruce. And the last little thing I would touch on this is like, it's also prime Gyllenhaal. So if you, if you want to watch some Gyllenhaal doing it all, like subtle and not so subtle, this is, you're on board. This is good. Bruce Perky, wrong Prime Gyllenhaal is Bubble Boy. <laughs> True. Uh, <laughs> I love the I love Bubble Boy. Love that love that movie. Uh, but anyways, I am going to step all over Eric Holmes's next. Oh, by the way, yeah, I'm going to step all over your next recommendation, Eric Holmes. Okay, first of all, The Great Silence is when I saw it several weeks ago, two weeks ago, it was streaming on Canopy. Now, as we speak. It is streaming on Hoopla. The Great Silence is a spaghetti Western. And quote, here's a, here's a synopsis. A mute gunslinger fights in the defense of a group of outlaws and a vengeful young widow against a group of ruthless bounty hunters. The head of these group, this group of ruthless bounty hunters is Klaus Kinski. He plays this guy named Loco, or he's also known as Tigrero. Tigrero, I'm thinking that means tiger. And the mute gunslinger, yeah, the mute gunslinger, his name is simply Silence, played by Jean-Louis Tritignan. So I don't know how to pronounce that name. And this guy named Silence, he's trying to help a widow. He's trying to, we're talking about revenge. Eric Combs, you're talking about revenge as well regarding the last Spaghetti Western. There, it, there is a huge revenge element. Klaus Kinski is a bad guy. That is as much as you need to know about the plot behind The Great Silence. Most of it, Bruce, is set in snow, hence The Hateful Eight. And this is a direct influence to Quentin Tarantino's The Hateful Eight. I was trying to force this on both of you guys to see it the last couple of weeks. Eric Holmes, you, you took up the mantle. Your overall thoughts on The Great Silence. Do you recommend this movie? Yes, I do. Um, if you, uh, I would say it, if you like The Hateful Eight at all, you have to watch this movie. You just have to. Why? Why? Why would you say? Not just because of the snow, right? Because of other things. Uh, the, yeah, the, there's uh, hateful eight. Definitely borrows not every, doesn't borrow too much from it because they're, they're completely different stories. But there a lot of the uh, a lot of the backgrounds and a lot of the set designs when they get in the the haberdashery. And this one go this this is a completely different story than hateful eight. But there are so many things that are very similar to it. So if you would all like hateful eight, this is required viewing. 
uh, if you did not like Hateful Eight and you did not, because I know some people, and I don't get it because I love Hateful Eight, but there are some people, I guess they didn't like the story. They thought it was too small. It's like, oh, they just go, they're just in the haberdashery and they, they get there and they don't ever leave. Well, this, but maybe you like the aesthetics of the Hateful Eight also watch this because it's it it you know it stays on the outside it goes in the little haberdashery thing but it also goes other places and this is a much bigger story than hateful eight not you know not a sweeping epic by any stretch of the imagination but it, it definitely uh definitely goes in a lot different areas than hateful eight does and it expands outside of just that uh place where they all meet up after the uh snow ride and also like Hateful Eight, you got the different characters and you hear about their backgrounds. In this one, you actually see their backgrounds. You know, it starts the starts off with different characters. So you get their, their backgrounds where they came to actually see where they came to be, where they're at currently. Uh, you get to see why silence is called silence and how that how that ties into the other characters that are there. Yeah, this is this is two for two on Westerns this week. So pretty happy with that. The only reason why I decided to go see The Great Silence was actually, I think it was an offhanded comment by Bruce Perky. I don't know when, on what episode he, I think he mentioned, or maybe we were just talking in general, and he mentioned Sergio Corbucci. You know what? I think maybe you said Corbucci and then Fulci. I don't know any of these filmmakers. I haven't seen any Fulci as of yet. But I said Corbucci. That sounds very good. Let me just try the Great Silence. It was at it was streaming in Canopy. Don't want to give too much away. But Sergio Leone's Leone's Once Upon a Time in the West is considered a deconstruction of the Western genre, right? The Great Silence is a deconstruction of I think in many ways how stories are told. Eric, do you know what I'm saying with that? Did you like did you like the third act of The Great Silence? I, I liked all the acts in this. But yes, I, I did like that. The uh, who's the um the uh actress Silence. actor that played uh Marissa Merlini? I think so. Um, yeah. yeah. Is, is she is she the one that kind of is by Silence's side towards the end and kind of yeah. kind of steps up and plays she she's almost uh I mean, she gets overtaken, but she's kind of the, uh, you talk about strong female leads. Uh, she was very similar to uh, Michelle Mercier in Cemetery Without Crosses. Okay. And I think that that was another reason why these were two really good uh, double features to go back to back because the, you know, the, the, the big strong man that's supposed to take over, you know, slips, falls, can't, or, you know, can't do it on his own. And then you got the strong female lead. It's like, step aside, I got this. And then, you know. Yep, and then Klaus Kinski's character, <laughs> so good. We Talk all... about a great character! That is fantastic in this yeah. movie. There's so many things to love about The Great Silence. Also, if you are listeners, if you have an inkling for, if you love story, if you love writing, this is a great lesson, I think, in writing. And this is something, as far as the third act goes, I hope. I wish more films had the guts that The Great Silence has. So I can't wait, Bruce, till you mm. see this movie because you. Among all of us, we've seen a whole bunch of movies, but I could say The Great Silence has one of the the more original takes on how a story should go. Um, I don't know if you agree with me on that, Eric, but I I just thought it was very gutsy and uncompromising. So that is, yeah. And the reason why Eric is not saying that much is he wants to keep a tight lid on the um, some of the magic of an innovation behind The Great Silence. Again, directed by Sergio Corbucci. Eric, you're going to say something. 
I would add that I think that Cemetery Crosses is a little better because The Great Silence came out in 1968, but Cemetery Crosses came out in 1969, so it gets that one point better. Okay. It came out in 69. Yes, very good. <laughs> you know what? 69 <laughs> jokes. That, right, that, no, <laughs> that joke never gets old. That joke never gets old. Again, yeah, so The Great Silence is currently streaming on Hoopla. I'm sure it's probably out on Blu-ray or, or DVD. So maybe even after Cemetery Without Crosses, I might even buy this wherever it's on on home video. This is, uh, this is a huge recommendation for me for the, the Great Silence and solid recommendation for you. Right, Eric? Uh, I, I would say both both of these are fantastic. Pick one. They're both fantastic. Okay, very cool. Bruce, I think you have another recommendation, or do you have something in the box? My, my last one is the is the one from the box, so we could do that now, or you can do it later. It's up to you. Yeah, let us do what's... Right now, we are in our final segment, which is our what's in the box segment, which is part of the recommendation segment. This is a different yep. situation where Bruce... Bruce Porky, out of all of us three, he, he, he created this what's in the box segment. And Bruce, can you tell our listeners what's in the box as far as how they can reach you and put some recommendations in that box. You can go, if you're on cinematics page, I mean, Facebook, you can just Facebook message me. You can comment under one of our posts. And um, usually what I'll do is each week after we've picked for what's in the box for the next week, I'll post it sometime during that week saying, Hey, this is what's in the box this week. We're going to be talking about it. Tell me down below. If you want to add any other ones, you can email me at Bruce Perky at Gmail, go to my YouTube at Rustle Meyer. You can leave me a message there too. You know, there's a variety of ways to get a hold of us. So just tell me what movie you want me to put in the box, and I will draw one out of the box each week for a talk about and recommendation for the next week. So this week, we are talking about The Company of Wolves from 1984. That was uh, Jesper's suggestion. And the other thing is, if you've gone a whole week after your suggestion, you can suggest again. So you can do another suggestion. Anyway. The Company of Wolves, 1984, uh, Neil Jordan. Jordan? I never say, is that right? Is it Jordan or is it Jordan? Neil it's Jordan. Neil Jordan. Okay. I, I just want to do, before you do the What's in the Box segment, Bruce, yeah. which, you know, I just, I, I, I'm i going to, this is going to be the one time that Greg was a total a-hole in, in, mm-hmm. in the Find Your Film universe because I, I did the Wonder Woman 1984 thing. I, I, I went against <laughs> Soul. I just realized that this movie is directed by Neil Jordan. I'm just going to go for the trifecta of offensive stuff interviewed neil jordan years ago one-on-one he had a book out liked his book and you know i i, I even like this movie he did called in dreams which really bombed starring robert downey jr mm-hmm. and Annette benning interviewed him one-on-one i'm not just not the friendliest guy in the world but <laughs> that's all i'm gonna say okay but doesn't make doesn't make a difference because neil jordan is a very talented filmmaker so take it away probably maybe just had a maybe just had a bad day yeah it happens had a bad know. day yeah <laughs> I mean, he's really too. known. <laughs> was he really known for the the crying game? I mean, everyone knows that one. That's probably probably his biggest movie. He did Mona Lisa. That was pretty big. Butcher Boy, which yes. I want to see the Butcher Boy. I haven't seen that one. That's one I really need to see. So this movie, once again, came out in 1984. I did see this in the theater. I didn't remember a ton about it, but I remembered some about it. So this is a very odd movie, and I'm going to have to try to describe it to you. So the basic concept is this. Uh, you have this girl, Rosaline. It starts out, uh, David Warner's her father. They all come home. Uh, well, all the family comes home. It's modern times in England. Uh, they go upstairs and Rosaline is in a room asleep and she's dreaming. And that's the basic construct of this movie is that you're going to see what's inside of her dream. So it's a little bit Wizard of Oz-ish, I guess, in that sense. And it's 
not an anthology, but it's kind of an anthology because once you're inside of her dream, you're in kind of like medieval times, right? And you've got the granny who's played by um, Angela Lansbury. And Angela Lansbury is telling the young woman in the dreams, Rosaline, all of these stories. And you will see vignettes where you'll see the story happen. And there are various stories about werewolves and wolves and not trusting men. There's this whole thing about the men that are hairy on the inside are the ones you really have to worry about. And that's kind of the (laughs) wolf, wolf in man's clothing, I guess you'd say. So there's a lot of stuff about, you know, like sexuality and the dangers of men and um, just the world in general. And you've got this very, um, very lush set based world. This is very much like a hammer or something, right? This, this kind of very Gothic all on sets, um, medieval villages and forests and, and all these things happening. Do you think um, it was made as an homage to that, that type of film, Bruce? It is. I think it is somewhat an homage to that kind of film. I think that he had said in a few interviews, I was reading some of the trivia, that he had said he really loved the Roger Corman, like Edgar Allan Poe stuff. So he kind of wanted to have a, that kind of that feel that really, um, you know, really curated sets that kind of can create that very gothic kind of feel to it. Did it work? The stories are variations. Uh, it's it's okay. It's it's pretty interesting. It looks really cool. In fact, I guess Kubrick saw this and he took the art direction guy for um, Full Metal Jacket from this movie. So it looks really cool. I think that what works best in this is where it's in full fairy, fairy tale mode. When you basically have Angela Lansbury telling her a story and then it goes to the story and it might be like, you know, the young woman and she married the man and he disappeared that she got married again and had a bunch of kids. And then years later, the man returns and he's a werewolf and the things happen. The things that don't work so well in this movie to me are, this is steeped in that time period when you have an American werewolf in London and the howling, and you have all these special effects movies. So you, f- you feel like in the middle of this movie, that's very kind of fairy tale-ish and metaphorical and symbolic that they have to have these like gory, like, animatronic effect sequences which which i love on their own but they're kind of out of place in this movie where you're having this kind of moment kind of this little red riding hood neo version of it you know and then all of a sudden there's this guy bursting bloodily out of someone's face and transforming into a wolf so it's it's a little bit jarring as far as the style goes it's i would say it's good it's not great this is a light recommend for me if you're looking into 80s strange kind of fantasy movies that you may never heard of. This is definitely one that you could kind of check out. If you like, you know, like you've got all these movies at that time period, like Labyrinth and Legend and all these kind of things happening. This is kind of a weird, odd sub version of one of those movies. So, um, and probably Hmm. one that a lot of people never encountered. So, uh, and if you want to see Neil Jordan's, one of his early works, that's definitely different than his later works. uh, It's pretty interesting for that too. So The Company of Wolves, released in 1984, directed by Neil Jordan, who may have had a bad day when I interviewed him one-on-one for his (laughs) book. I'm sure it was. Maybe I was the the idiot that day. I'm going to give him the benefit of the the doubt. Very talented filmmaker. The Butcher Boy, by the way, is one of Anderson Cowan's favorite movies. He has a framed poster of The Butcher Boy at his office. Uh, Have you seen The Butcher Boy or The Company of Wolves, Eric Holmes? Any of those? I don't know. I don't think so. (laughs) Yeah, Oh, Company of Wolves, maybe because I've seen like a lot of vampire werewolf stuff, so I probably came across it. But it's, yeah, I I don't think so. Yeah, 
Wow, I'm surprised neither of you have seen the but I, I love the Butcher Boy. Maybe one of these days we'll track it down and we'll all do a, a review of the Butcher Boy just uh, because we all love Anderson Cowan. Now the finally the the oh yeah oh oh yeah before we do the the what's in the box thing, it's currently streaming on Cinemax Go, Directv, mm-hmm. and Amazon. Amazon if you have Cinemax, so that's where you can find it streaming. It's also like on Blu-ray and DVD. Bruce Perky's gonna pick something out of the box. Yes, Bruce, Bruce Perky, what's in the box? I don't know. What's in We're the box? <laughs> gotta shake it what's up. in the fucking box? <laughs> <laughs> See, that's what I wanted to happen every week. I wanted to hear that. All right, I'm not looking. I'm grabbing one here. Okay, seven. Pull seven. Wouldn't that be so great? <laughs> Wow. I still keep forgetting to get a blonde Barbie doll head and throw it in there. I need to do that. <laughs> All right. Oh, this we reached in the box and just pulled out a bunch of goop. All right. <laughs> it's something from 1982. Okay. Uh, suggested by Brian O'Connell. Mm. And it's Wild Style. Hmm. Wild Style from 1982. Brian O'Connell. I don't even know what that Brian is. I've O'Connell. never heard of it. <laughs> Brian O'Connell, what are you doing? We love you, Brian. Brian, by the way, Brian O'Connell, he's a member of our Cinematics Facebook group. He's been he's one of the first few members who joined our group. And I remember he one of his all-time favorite movies, just a little thing about Brian, is, is Seven Samurai, Akira Kurosawa's Seven Samurai. So I'm going to guess that Wild Style is not as good as Seven Samurai, but hopefully it's still a very good movie. None of us have no idea what this is. What this movie is, I'm thinking right now, Wild Style, 1982, has to be some kind of teen movie, like Hot Dog the Movie or Hard Bodies or Porky's. One of those. What do you think, Eric? Do you think it might be one of those? Those kind of things. I, I, I that's that's the first thing that came to mind because I, I was like just running through a bunch of them. Um, I'm wondering if it's like a sports teen movie, like maybe like they're maybe it's like motocross or. Well, when when you said wild, I was thinking like wild things, but then immediately moving violations got mixed in my head. So I was thinking of wild things, but like uh, Matt Dillon and uh, what's her name are like going to get their driver's license after they got busted with the <laughs> deal. Yeah, wild, wild things. I even did that press junket that was uh, directed. I forgot who directed that, but it was uh, it was Denise Richards and Nev Campbell, right? Yeah, Kevin Bacon. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it was David McNaughton who directed that movie, but yeah, very love, love wild things, but hopefully you'll enjoy wild style. Thank you so much, Brian O'Connell. That was this will be cool. a true discovery one way or the other, either way, which is exactly what I'm looking for. Like something I, I don't think I ever would have looked up wild style. So, okay. Hey, let's see what it is. Wild style next week. And before we go, before we close up this episode of find your film, speaking of new discoveries, Eric Holmes, can you tease our listeners to what we're going to expect for next week's director spotlight? Yeah. So we got a, we got a couple movies by a uh, early director known as one of the first, one of the first African-American uh, directors, but there's uh more I'm reading about this. There's kind of uh now nah, we'll get into it, but his name's Oscar Michaud, and we will be uh, for the director's spotlight of Oscar Michaud. We will be watching Within Our Gates and Body and Soul. Yeah, Within Our Gates and Body and Soul, directed by Oscar Michaud. So if you can study along with us, like a lot of you guys do, that'd be great. We will be covering that next week for Find Your Film. Also, um, yeah, you can you can reach us. Uh, I'm going to leave all of, all the stuff on our episode show notes on where you can reach Eric Holmes if you want to learn more about his game and his film and all that stuff. You can or you know DVDs. He loves exchanging DVDs and giving out DVDs too. I have a, a 
I have a certain idea that I'm going to have with my DVDs and, and Blu-rays that I'm going to do to help promote our show. Speaking of promoting our show, if you can rate and rate and review our podcast, Bruce Perky, he also does weekly movie reviews on his YouTube channel, Rusto Meyer. So if you want more of Bruce Perky's insight, check out that YouTube channel. So any, before we go, anything else you want to say, Bruce, before we go? Nope. Just uh, go to my site and check out my top 25 movies of 2020. That should be up by the time this um, launches. So uh, go check it out. I'd like to hear what you agree with, disagree with, or if you had something else you would have suggested. Yes. Again, disagreeing is a great thing. We we really went really hard out on Wonder Woman 1984. We would love to hear your guys' thoughts on that film as well, as well as all the other movies that we cover on Find Your Film. Eric Holmes, you want to say something? I almost forgot. We I almost went the entire show and forgot to mention friend of the show, William Lindis has put out his top 25 of the year and it's yes. a, he put it in a video format. I'm sure you can go to the cinematics Facebook page okay. and uh, yeah, check out William Lindis's uh, top 25 video it is quite well done. And there are some bangers in there, both movies yeah. and music that he chose to use in that. And yeah, it's fantastic. This is a lot Watch more it. polished than mine is. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, William but Lindis. I, oh, we wait. matched on like twelve movies, I think. So that's a good sign. So. Oh, very cool. We, William Lindis is is a member of again, like Eric. Has, thank you, Eric Collins, for wearing that cinematic shirt. You know, William Lindis is a member of our cinematic Facebook group. More importantly, he is a co-host of Movie Bears podcast. Bruce Perky, you are a weekly listener. To, what do you think of that overall podcast? Are you do you enjoy it? I'm sure you love William Lindsay's takes, cinematic takes. Oh yeah, I love I love listening to those guys. They they are really knowledgeable. Uh, William always has the insight on all the upcoming or the occurring uh, festivals and things. But the podcast itself is just more. It, it's it's just like you know friends hanging out and and I love their um their take on movies and you know some podcasts are really. Um, argumentative or really harsh or really like trying to go for the hot take <clears throat> greg um <laughs> <laughs> yeah did you notice how i i just decided not to say anything about this stuff <laughs> but these guys it's it really does feel like like you went over to somebody's house on a wednesday night and just after dinner you are hanging around talking about whatever movie and they usually pick one movie and then have a couple streaming picks for the week but they usually focus on one movie and it's a lot of fun i love it yeah, William Linus is a very insightful human being. Love his take on on movies, and he does he does get a really good some really good scoops on movies as well. I would like to say that I would I have some really good scoops on movies as well, but I never <laughs> again I never opened my freaking emails. Bruce Perky this morning said, "Hey Greg, why don't you check this movie out? Have, it's coming out next week. Have you heard about this?" And I realized I need people like Bruce Perky and Eric Holmes to tell me about movies and Anderson Cowan because. Unless they tell me about movies, I'm not going to open up my Gmail. <laughs> I don't open up my no, listeners, friends. In my inbox on Gmail, 95,218. <laughs> I have a problem. I have a huge problem. Okay, so that we're finished. Eric Holmes, can you lead us out? Yeah. <laughs> Come back next week to see what old Greggy numbers email is up to. <laughs> <laughs> Till then, guys. We love you. Bye. <laughs>